Today I have the great pleasure of talking to Robin Balburney, who is a child psychotherapist with whom I've been working for over 20 years. He is so knowledgeable about how an infant's brain develops uh, into becoming a well-rounded human being. And honestly, if you have any interest at all in giving every baby the best start for life, you must hear Robin and what he says about how the human brain is formed. So do listen in. Robin, thank you for talking to me today. I do recall when, uh, under Theresa May's government, I was chairing an interministerial group on early years, and you came to talk to the, I think it was eight government ministers, about how the human brain develops, and they were all blown away by that. And I know that listeners today would be really interested to hear you speak on that subject. It would be a pleasure. Um, I think when I'm talking about babies' brains, I think I probably need to go back a million years, first of all, to consider why babies have this amazing capacity to adapt to their surroundings. The baby's brain is the most potentially complex machine in the universe. Babies are born ready to adapt. But what makes this happen is, is, uh, is something we call neuroplasticity, which is a bit of a long word, but it means that our brains will respond to experience and lay down circuits that are needed in that particular environment. Babies are born with very small skulls compared with um, other primates. Babies are also born with very undeveloped brains. Now, the reason for this is when our hairy ancestors came out of the trees, there was a sort of arms race between the capacity of mothers to walk and run and also the need for larger brains. We were a group living animal, so nature selected for larger brains. A larger brain gives you a huge advantage in living in a group. And in fact, there's an interesting statistic that you can gauge the amount of a natural group by the volume of a primate's brain. So by that, our natural grouping is between 80 and 100 people. But this arms race meant that birth could potentially become very dangerous because as the pelvic girdle narrowed to make walking more efficient, it also narrowed the birth canal and that would potentially be damaging for the baby and damaging for the mum when birth occurs. So we solved this problem by taking something that was already there in humans, which was we were born slightly prematurely. All carnivores are born slightly prematurely, which means that they're relatively helpless to begin with. It's what's called an altricial species. Humans are in fact born about a year to 18 months premature in many ways. We're born, we're the most helpless creature in the world when we're born. And helplessness is a double-edged sword. Helplessness means our brains are very, very undeveloped to keep that cranium small, to keep birth safe for the mums as well as for the babies. But it also means that so much of that brain development takes place outside of the womb that it is open to the influences of the immediate environment. So babies are the most helpless things on the planet. It takes about 25 years for our brains to mature. People often forget that. Um, adolescence marks the end of brain maturity and adolescence doesn't finish till about age 25 or about 80 if you're a Top Gear presenter, but we'll leave that. Um, <laughs> 
And the great, greatest growth in the brain is in those first few years of life. And everybody who's looked at babies can see, you know, the heads are disproportionately large. It's the brain that grows fastest. It's actually the growing brain that absorbs the bulk of the energy that the baby is consuming and getting from their mum or getting from their parents. Brains are really important machines. When the baby's born, we have most of the neurons, which are like the hard chips in a computer. So pretty messy metaphor, um, you know, but we don't have all the connections in between. We don't have all the wiring. The wiring takes up more room than the hard chips. The brain starts to wire up at term, not at birth actually, but at term. And this is genetically preordained. And that's why going over term is dangerous because the cranium starts to expand. At first, it is almost as if everything wires up to everything else. The brain sets up potential circuits very quickly. The first circuits to develop are the ones that connect the baby to the outside world, which is sight and hearing and smell, in fact. These are the first circuits to form up because those are the circuits through which the baby will, will find, discover their caregivers. Not consciously, because that part of the brain, the thinking part of the brain, doesn't really wire up to about eight or nine, begin to wire up to about eight or nine months. But to begin with, the baby is wiring itself up to make a connection with the parents. And babies come already hardwired to make relationships. Babies, are, babies have tricks up their, up their sleeves to pull the parents in. They can mimic the parents' face. They can copy hand signals. Um, they will orientate themselves towards the voices that they've heard in utero, especially the mums um, um, and younger siblings too. Um, if, you know, babies will look at their two-year-old brother and sister because they've heard those at bump height for several months. Yeah. So ba babies are ready to make connections. The brain is there to make connections. The brain is there to make neurological connections. And a neurological connection is based on a human connection. Um, interpersonal relationships become the relationships within our mind. So everything wires up to everything else. There are more, this is, this is a statistic that boggles me and it doesn't make much sense, but there are more potential connections in a little baby's brain than there are particles in the known universe. So I, I just sort of trot that figure out, but I find it totally meaningless. Mm. But that's yeah, it is sort of, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's just completely boggling, mm. but it shows how complex babies' brains are. Yeah. So the baby is born in a particular environment and it, the babies adapt. The key phrase here is babies adapt to their environment. A baby doesn't know whether this environment is the best one or a troublesome one or one that will really suit it because babies are born with temperaments or not. The baby just has to adapt. That's a biological given. The other biological given is what we call the attachment system, which is a bit of a mouthful, but that's basically the sort of inbuilt urge that all mammals have, baby mammals have, to keep close to people who will, their parents who will protect and nurture them. So that's a biological given. And we put the two together. The infant has got this imperative that's unconscious to make a relationship and stay close to the caregivers, mum or dad or whoever is caring for the baby. At the same time, the baby's mind is putting itself together in the context of that relationship for, um, with the caregivers. So the relationships form the environment. Relationships are crucial here. And the baby makes an adaptation. And in 90% of the time, that's perfectly all right. So for instance, take, take as an example, take the adaptation for sight well, and language too. 
funnily enough, there are very few colors that are universal. Um, there's only about three or four colors that are universal across cultures. Otherwise, colors actually are culturally specific and learn. If you're an Inuit Indian, apparently by the time um, you're seven or eight, you can differentiate five or six shades of gray because that's a life-saving skill, but we couldn't do that. So they've, they've tuned their visual system to meet the demands of the environment. In terms of language, babies by the end of the first year have lost the connections for the prosody and lilt and rhythm of the language that they're not going to hear. Um, but up to that, babies can speak any language. And the same applies to emotional... So if, you want, if you want your child to be trilingual, you should really start um, talking to them in three different languages from, what, eight months old? Oh, I start in utero. In utero. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, before that, actually, there's, there used, people used to say that um, it, was, it was harmful, and there was some research on that, but then it, it was shown that actually if you've got trilingual or quad, even bilingual or quadrilingual, if you expose the baby to the, pho the, to the sounds of the language, the lilt and the rhythm and the phonemes, they, they will form the circuits that will enable them to recognize it when they're older. Amazing. So the capacity to put a sentence together in one speech might be slightly delayed and that's what led people astray. But um, it, when they're older, they, they won't have lost, deleted the circuits that they didn't need. They'll have kept all that variety of circuits. Um, Fascinating. Law, um, and, and some children just talk late anyway, yes. No, and so that, that neuroplasticity tunes the brain to the immediate environment and language is a good example, but it also tunes the brain to the emotional environment. Most of the early development in the first 1001 critical days in terms of brain development is taking place in the right hemisphere. Nature seems to say the right hemisphere is more important than the left hemisphere. So that develops first. And the right hemisphere, roughly, these things aren't, aren't, aren't actually pinpoint sharp. The right hemisphere, roughly, is the hemisphere that is dominant for relationships. It's dominant for music, actually. M the music of language, that would be a better way of putting it. You, 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 you adapt to the music of your native language. It's dominant for the stress response and it's dominant for the capacity for empathy, which is something that also has to be learned in the, in the context of relationships early on. So the baby makes an adaptation to the emotional environment. And as I said, in about 90% of the time, that's more or less okay. If, and we have to remember, this is um, statistically a minority, but in absolute numbers, a lot of, a lot of parents, if the parents are really struggling, if it's a vulnerable family and they're burdened with many sort of adverse factors impacting their life, which could be things in the present like poverty or a difficult neighborhood or, or a physical or mental illness, or it could be things in the past, like the manner in which they were parented or the fact that they've been maltreated themselves. I mean, everybody parents in a taken for granted way the trouble is what we take for granted is the way we were parented and that occurred at a time before we can remember which yeah. is why if you want a parenting class if the person in the parenting class is over the age of three it's probably not much point <laughs> <laughs> so the baby is adapt so if the baby is adapting to what we'll call a, um, an unfortunate environment and in a minority of cases even a hostile environment if there are things like domestic violence occurring 
or there is maltreatment in the, in, in the family, the baby doesn't know that it's better next door. The baby makes an adaptation to that environment and neuroplasticity ensures that the circuits that are maintained are the circuits that it needs to survive. And there's two mnemonics for brain development. They're pretty crude, but they make sense. The first one is circuits that fire together, wire together. So if a baby's being brought up in a household where there's lots of noise and violence and things are unpredictable, the baby's stress response circuits are the ones that are going to predominate. They're the ones that the baby, the baby's brain knows it's going to need for future life. But that's not going to be a good idea when the child reaches young adulthood because they're going to be um, over, over reactive to stress, they're going to be over reactive to being aggressive, um, they're going to lack empathy, um, which means they don't have a conscience, but also they don't have the capacity to inhibit violent actions because empathy is the strongest inhibitor we have of being violent to other people. But it's purely because their brains have been marinated in, in, a, in a family environment where, where violence and unpredictability and shock and fear have predominated. And of course, if you're brought up in a loving family, those circuits aren't the major ones. Your major circuits are the circuits for empathy, the circuits for good attachment. The template of caregiving that you lay down in the first three years means that when you become a parent, what you take for granted will, will be a loving, natural um, environment in the family, not one which is predominantly fraught. So the baby is, has survived. Now the circuits that aren't being used, now the, the first child didn't need the loving circuits, and my second example, if you like, they didn't need the threat, the threat responsive circuits so much. The circuits that aren't being used have to be discarded. There isn't enough room in our head for the amount of potential circuits that can be formed in the skull. So as circuits form, they proliferate and then they, they die away, they prune. And the second mnemonic is use it or lose it. So the brain automatically discards the circuits that aren't matching the environmental demands. This, this is especially relevant to the sort of threat response and to the right hemisphere. It has less effect on the left hemisphere, but it still has some. Um, what we don't want is babies with an enhanced stress response. That means their cortisol levels will be higher. That means as young adults and adults, they might turn to self-medication um, through alcohol or cigarettes or street drugs. They'll be more prone to stress-related diseases such as heart disease or type 2 diabetes or obesity. All of these things can be traced back to how the baby's brain has been programmed in the pre-verbal time. And because it's pre-verbal, it's unconscious. We can't consciously remember, but we can deduce what has happened by behavior um, and by what we take for granted. So ba babies are born with these very undeveloped brains. They develop their brains to match the environment. The potential circuits are thinned down to match that environment. That sets the foundation for future development. It doesn't mean to say we can't change things later on. And a lot of people think that, and that, that wouldn't be fair, and that, that would be a, a sentence of doom for people, and it's certainly not true. All, we, all the research shows is that neuroplasticity is at its greatest when the brain is being constructed, and the brain is mostly constructed in the first two or three years after birth and before birth as well. But neuroplasticity never declines 
So even oldies like me, we stand a chance. We've still got a certain bit of neuroplasticity there. <laughs> Well, that's but it just good. means that the older you get, the more energy it takes to change somebody's mind. Yeah. And energy and equals time and cost. Yeah. So it is most cost effective in terms of energy to change a mind in conception to age two or three than it is from sort of school age up to adolescence and then from adolescence into adulthood when it takes increasingly more energy to achieve the same result. But that certainly means... It's not, we should never give up. There's no reason to give up on anybody. Well, thank you, Robin. That is totally brilliant. I think you've just explained so well why investing in the perinatal period, the 1001 critical days, is so valuable and so important. And of course, you're right, we never give up on anyone. But if we are really looking to change our society for the better, then I think it has to be said that prevention is not only kinder, but also much cheaper absolutely. than cure later on. So thank you very much indeed. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thanks, Robin. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please be sure to subscribe through the link and wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to get involved, perhaps in a future episode, or to share your thoughts, please reach out to me through my website, andrealedson.com.